is this? Hello? This is Ann Ready. Hello? Who's there? I'm talking. Hello? Can you hear me now? Good. Wow, good morning, or hello, how are you doing today? How's everybody doing? I, I don't know, it just might be me. You all look like you had extra sleep last night. It's incredible. Turn to a neighbor, unless you're, of course, uh, infants and men over 50, time change is not good. My body still woke up at 4.30, just like normal, and I sat there trying to think, oh, please, just go back to sleep, go back to sleep. Look at somebody near you and say, you look remarkably refreshed this morning. Do that, would you? You look remarkably refreshed. And some of you actually think you're here for the next service, and so you didn't realize the time has changed. So uh, if not, just keep on living that way. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Malachi chapter 2. We've been on a journey called Straight Talk. This is God's call to his people through the prophet Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you just go to the New Testament, Matthew, turn left, you'll be there as we continue as God is having a very straight, very direct talk with his people. Now remember, when God is speaking to them, it's not just an accusation, it's an invitation. He doesn't want us to stay where we're at. He wants us to come near to him so he can come near to us. And that's the journey that we're on today. Uh, last year, I was so excited. Um, I, I've never owned a, a full-size pickup truck, I, I, or I, as I call it, a grown-up truck. And uh, I've always had little trucks. And my last one was a Dodge Dakota, like that you had it for many years. Uh, but I always kind of wanted to have a big one. And the last year, I uh, found, uh, uh, it was a 2009, really good condition, uh, F-150 quad cab pickup truck. It, it, I was, there's my truck. I was so excited, had this thing, and it's like, man, it just drives great. Um, it's incredible. Got it uh, early November, about a year ago or so. And then this whole thing of oil prices and gas, and uh, I, think, I think gas went up a buck 50 since I bought that truck. And uh, this is a special truck. Keep it up there. Just put it back up there. It's kind of a special truck because it has an over 30-gallon tank for long trips. And so it can cost me like 140 bucks to fill up this thing. It is oppressive. It's oppressive. Finally, about a month ago, I told Tammy, I said, I can't tell. You know what? I think with the gas savings, I probably could buy another car. And so this is now what I drive. True story. Uh, that's my that's my 2006 Ford Focus, 170,000 miles, 34 mile a gallon, baby. It's awesome, and it's incredible. And so what I did is I kept the truck, and if I'm going to hunt, I'll take the truck. And we were out. Oh, I love the way that thing drives. But then I take the car, the rest. And the cool thing is when I'm traveling with the truck is that I can actually uh, take this with me. <laughs> So if I run out of gas or have a flat tire, I can always get in and out of town. Oh, that's me. That's me. You're saying, why in the world would a guy go from a truck, from a Ford pickup truck, from a Ford quad cat? It literally, the thing could fit inside my, my back seat, you know. And Why would you do that? Well, what do they say about change? When it hurts enough that you want to, when you know enough, you know how to, or when you're desperate enough, you have to, people change. 
Malachi is a, is a book that God is writing and frankly, God is putting the thumbscrews on because he's, he's trying to bring enough pain that they make some changes. They, they've not been open to his invitations and so the Lord is, is inviting them to come near her but he's creating a circumstance which is, is desperate for them enough that they're gonna wanna change. Now, in Malachi chapter 2, Pastor Dan did an incredible job last week. I will tell you, probably one of the finest dissections of that passage as Pastor Dan talked about leadership and then he talked about covenant, called this guy idea of covenant. Now, just to remind you what a covenant is, a covenant is a promise that is made between two parties or two people that scripturally, when it's a biblical covenant, it is witnessed and guaranteed by God. So if I'm in a marriage covenant, because God calls marriage a marriage covenant, that is an agreement, a promise between Tammy and myself, but God is the witness and the guarantor, whatever the covenant is. And so what God says is that a covenant isn't broken until he says it's okay to break it. Now you're gonna notice a progression because God is challenging the leadership of Israel. Then he's beginning to uh, challenge the religious leadership of Israel. Then he begins to challenge the leaders of Israel. Then he, he begins to challenge the individual relationships in Israel. And now you're going to notice even today, he's going to get personal into the marriage relationship because he wants in all of these things, he's calling everyone to accountability for the relationship that they're in. Here's what it says, Malachi chapter 10 or chapter 2 verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep, you wail, because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his, and why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit, and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man covering himself with violence, as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Now, this is a passage that is challenging. He's talking about the importance of marrying those who are of similar faith, but he obviously addresses this whole thing of divorce. Now, whenever you read this passage, oftentimes, as soon as you read, I hate divorce, there's a whole group of individuals who feel very, very accused because they're saying, man, God hates me. 
We are a very eclectic congregation. We have those who are single, single by choice. Some are single by having lost a spouse or by divorce. And some are married, some are remarried. And we have a very eclectic group. Can I just encourage you this morning? God never despises the current relationship or the current covenant that you're in. A lot of times when people read this, they say, oh man, I've blown it, there's no hope for me. No, 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 no. God always meets you where you're at and brings you to where he wants you to be. Billy Graham said it this way, he's a great theologian. He said, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. (laughs) And so God is not asking you to go back and break your current covenant in order to fulfill a first covenant. God will meet you where you're at and he is challenging us, no matter where we're at, to be faithful within our covenant of where we're at. So, but as we go through this passage, what's interesting to me is there are two things that jump out to me in a big way. Number one, Breaking faith is a really big deal to God. Say that with me, would you? Breaking faith is a really big deal to God. You can't get away from that in this passage. Five times he talks about breaking faith. Breaking faith in your relationships in Jerusalem, breaking faith in your marriage relationships. This idea of breaking faith, it actually can be translated this way to deal treacherously with someone. The word treacherous, it means to deal violently. Did you see that he said, I I hate a man covering himself with violence? Primarily, he's speaking to men in this passage, and the reason for it is, in that culture, women had no legal rights for divorce. Today, he would just simply speak to all of us and say, honor or don't break faith. But breaking faith is a big deal. And he talks about it. Why? Well, because breaking faith or breaking our promises is an affront to the very character of God. Not just in our marriages, in life. In all of our life, God says, I want you to be people who keep your word. Why? Because God always keeps his word We are created in his image as his children. He wants our character to be like his children. So God says, I want you to keep your word, whether it be in business, whether it be in life, whether it be showing up when you say you're going to show up or whether it be in a relationship. He says, I want you to reflect my character. Incredible words that are coming out of Malachi because God says, I don't change and I don't break my promise. I don't care what anybody else do. When I make a promise, I keep my promise. I was teaching on Wednesday night uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were studying through the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter six, verse 18, he says something really interesting. He says, we can feel confident in our salvation by two reasons that are unchangeable. And the first one is, is God does not lie. In fact, he says this, God cannot lie. It's not just that God doesn't lie. It's that God can't lie because it's against the very nature of who God is. And then he says, and another reason that we can feel is that even though God said it, he also promised on top of it. So it's kind of like God makes a pinky promise that he says, I promise I'm going to fulfill this work of salvation in you because I don't lie. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, he says, you know, some people say it's important to keep your oaths. Jesus said, no, no. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You shouldn't have to promise. You shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to pinky promise. You shouldn't have to swear. Not that it's wrong, he says, but you shouldn't have to need to because you're simply people that when you say something, you do it. We've kind of lost that in our culture. Our culture says, hey, did you sign a contract? Did you, did you have any legal rep? No, no. You said you're going to do it. Do it. Breaking faith is a big deal to God. It's a front to his character. But breaking faith in our marriages is an affront to God's divine relationship with us. Now here, this is incredible. He looks at us and he says, I want you to understand that the relationship that you have within a marriage covenant is supposed to be an earthly picture of my heavenly relationship with you. Hear that again. God says that your earthly relationship in marriage is supposed to be an earthly illustration so people understand the heavenly relationship that I have with you. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, he begins to talk about how husbands and wives ought to relate to one another. And as he does so, he kind of gets off track and he starts talking about how Jesus loves the church and how he gave himself up. And it's almost like he gets uh, a little mixed up. He goes, well, I'm talking about Christ in the church, but husbands, you need to love your wives and wives, you need to respect your husbands. And so what he's doing is understand that God has a heavenly relationship with us and he designed marriage to be the picture of that to the world, of faithfulness and of commitment and of making sure we're always staying faithful. It's kind of like um, the word, if you know what the word divorce means in Hebrew, it means the tearing of flesh. It's not clean. He says, I made you one flesh, and when we break, some of you who've been through this know exactly what I'm talking about. It's never clean. God says, don't break faith. There's a second big idea. Breaking faith always begins inwardly before it begins outwardly. Notice what he says in this passage. Verse 15. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Now, he must have really meant this because he says it again in the very next verse. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Pastor Dan was preaching last week and I sat through several of his messages. He did a great job. And I've always said to Pastor Dan, if he sees me scribbling when he's preaching, that is the highest honor because um, when the Holy Spirit uses him to speak to me, then, then, I, then I get inspired. And so I started writing this message actually while I was listening to Pastor Dan last week. And I began to really focus on this idea of guarding yourself in your spirit. What in the world does that mean? Well, what's our spirit? Oh, for the sake of our conversation today, our spirit 
is the part of you that nobody else can see. It's the inner part of who you are that is able to commune with God that nobody else can see and the only ones who know what's going on there is God and maybe you. Now, we can see the results of it. We can tell if you might be troubled. But the fact is, is that it's your inner life. It's your inner walk with God. It's your inner ability of the essence of who you are. And he says, I want you to stand guard, take responsibility of yourself, of your own spirit, the part of you that nobody else can see, and that will help you keep the faith that really impacted me how do you do that how do I guard my spirit so that in my relationship with Tammy I can keep that faith because the suggestion is is that something goes on inside of you before you break faith outwardly well, there probably could spend a whole month of messages talking about the different things that we need to guard. But this morning, what I want to do is share with you five things to guard in order to guard your spirit. The first one I want to encourage you to guard is to guard your forgiveness. Guard your forgiveness. In other words, keep short accounts, keep short record of the wrongs that your spouse has done for you. In fact, I do this often. The word actually, the word account, it means to keep a record of the wrongs that somebody has done to me. I love what it says. What is it? Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another and forgive one another how as in Christ, God forgave you. He didn't say God just forgave you. God forgave you because of what Christ has done for you. God showed you grace. God showed you mercy. God showed you all kinds of love. And he says, based on that, show that same kind of love to others and especially within your marriage relationship. I think most of us know that in your marriage relationship, little nicks can take place and little hurts can happen. And wouldn't it be something, I call them the ledger people, wouldn't it be something if every time you messed up in your marriage, somebody took out a little black book and started writing down what you did wrong? And you look over at them and you say, what are you doing there? And they're saying, do you realize that's the 20th time this month you've done the same stupid thing? And then you look back and say, wait a minute, you just called me stupid. I'm putting that in my ledger. I'm a, you, kept, you called me dumb. And, and, and do you realize that's like the eighth volume since we've been married? I mean, I've got stacks and stacks and stacks. And what happens when we hold on to those things that bug us, that hurt us, when we hold on to those things and we don't release them, we don't give those to the Lord, they just begin to compile and then, a, and then, then resentment builds up and all of a sudden you're beginning to hold and hold hatred toward a person for something they did years ago because you never dealt with forgiveness. You gotta guard it. You gotta make a pledge. I'm not gonna keep a record of right and wrong. In fact, that's what it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when it talks about love. It says, love keeps no record of right and wrong. And can I just tell you, if you keep record in this relationship, you'll keep record in every relationship. And so develop the habit of healing. Guard yourself in your inner life. Nobody else can see it, only you and God but guard yourself, guard your forgiveness. 
Number two, guard your words. Guard your words toward one another. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, what in the world? That doesn't matter. Again, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is out of uh, 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 Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That word for unwholesome talk is the same Greek word that means putrid, putrid fruit that is rotting, rotting fish. It means it is, it is a distasteful thing. He says, don't let those kinds of words come out of your mouth. And you're saying, oh, come on. They're only words. You gotta let them out once in a while. You gotta, you kinda gotta let it go. You know what they say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. Well, whoever said that's a liar, right? because we understand the power of words. And so as I'm beginning to say words, I, I'm looking for somebody I can talk to. That, Brian, I'm gonna look at you, okay? Now, you're not my wife, I want you to know that. But you, in my relationship with you, Brian, if I speak unwholesome words to you, here's what happens when I voice words. Uh, I might call you dumb, or I might call you whatever, or do you don't know what you're doing. What, what's interesting is that came from somewhere. Your words, scripture says, Proverbs says, guard your words because by doing so, you guard your soul. Isn't that interesting? And as I express words toward Brian that are unwholesome words that don't help build him up, what begins to happen is those very things that are coming out of my mouth, they become reinforced in my soul. You don't believe me? Why do you think the Lord makes such a big deal about honoring him with praise, about honoring him with thanksgiving, about singing his attributes? When I praise the Lord, when I give thanksgiving to the Lord, when I sing of the greatness of the Lord, you know what happens? It reinforces that truth right back into my spirit and I begin to embrace that truth. So when scripture tells us there are some words that cut and there are some words that heal and there are some words that destroy and there are some words that build up and there are some words that give life and there are some words that take life, scripture is saying that you have the ability through your words to reinforce what's going on in of your life, your spirit toward the person you're speaking them toward. How important is that toward your wife, toward your husband, toward your kids, toward your parents, toward your brothers and sisters in Christ? Guard your words. Because if you guard your words, you guard your spirit. Number three, I need to guard my affections. And that means I need to guard my emotional affections and I need to guard my physical affections. There's a passage in Proverbs that if you read it and you read it and you don't really meditate on it, it'll strike you as being out of nowhere. Proverbs chapter five, I, put, I think I put some of it in your note sheet. Notice what he says. Drink water from your own cistern Running water 
from your own well. What? This guy's nuts. Well, you're not supposed to give anybody water? Look at the next verse. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Is this guy saying you should let people not have water? Look at the next verse. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Oh, he's not talking about water. He's talking about water. (laughs) If I were doing a marriage conference, I'd tell a funny story right now, but I'm not going to. (laughs) He said, there are things that belong to your spouse and only your spouse. Don't be giving them to other people. We could spend a whole day just talking about what that is, but our hidden emotions, our deepest communication. One of my concerns over the last 10, 15 years has been the prevalence of texting, texting relationships, uh, messaging relationships, online relationships. And here's why, I think we all know this. All you gotta do is be on Facebook, you'd know this. People will say things uh, virtually that they would never say in person. You know that, right? You'll, You'll say things you would never say because there's this filter that gets broken by this, uh, by this screen or by this screen and we'll say things and we would be so embarrassed in person to say that, but we, we, we can do it this way. So people will send pictures or they'll send things and they'll state things they never would have stated had they been physically present with that person or hopefully they wouldn't have. At least they would have had a check in their spirit. And so what's often interesting is that affairs and affections begin emotionally before they begin physically. Just like what he talks about guarding yourself and your spirit, broken faith begins inwardly before it shows itself outwardly. And he says, and I want you to guard how you treat people that are not your spouse physically. Be careful how you're relating to them. I'll have individuals who oftentimes are kind of trying to put me on the spot. And I've had young men say to me, okay, well, so what's appropriate? I said, well, um, would you feel comfortable with what you're doing with a young lady if somebody guy was doing this with your, 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 uh, your sister? Oh, I got a better one. Would you feel comfortable with a man doing this with your mom? Oh, that's sick. Yeah, yeah, right. Then why are you doing it? Would you feel comfortable with someone doing this with your daughter, with your son, with you? See, it's really easy. You ask those kinds of questions and immediately in your brain, you're going, oh, okay. See, I think we play dumb. 
We, we, what we do in our brain is we justify things, but all you gotta do is put it into this kind of a relationship. Would I feel okay with someone doing this with my mom that wasn't her husband? Or would I feel okay with this somebody doing this with my sister or my daughter or my son? Or my, and it's amazing. God says, guard your physical affections because that'll guard your spirit and you won't break faith. Number four, guard my respect. The way I view this person, the way I treat this person. See, it's not just women toward their husbands. Uh, Ephesians chapter five says, wives, um, respect your husbands. But in 1 Peter chapter three, he looks right back and he says, and husbands, be considerate of your wives and treat them with respect. God says, in your marriage relationship, one of the ways that you guard yourself in your spirit, by the way, it doesn't have to be a marriage relationship. I was picking on Brian here a little bit earlier, but you know what? When I treat Brian with honor and respect and I use the right words toward Brian and I use words that edify and lift him up and I make sure that I am being honest with him. Isn't it interesting how that builds our relationship with one another? And so we got to guard that stuff. I heard a story years ago of, uh, of a couple been married for a number of years. His name was Stumpy and Martha. Stumpy and Martha. They'd been married for a lot of years and every year they'd go to the county fair and there was this guy at the county fair that would give airplane rides. It was 10 bucks. It was $10 for an airplane ride and Stumpy in the worst way he wanted to, to take an airplane ride and so he, every year he'd look at Martha and Martha was in charge of the finances and she'd look at him and she'd go, well, uh, Stumpy, that's $10. And 10 bucks is 10 bucks. And that was all she would say. And he'd kind of sheepishly say, okay, I won't go on the plane ride. Every year he'd do this. And the guy who was given the rides, he kind of paid attention to it. So they show up this year. It'd been years they've been doing this. $10 to go on a plane ride. And they walk by it and Stumpy says, man, I'd really like to go on that. Look at that. They're giving plane rides. And she looked at him. She said, Stumpy, it's 10 bucks. And remember, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. And so the guy who gives the rides, he heard this, and he goes, hey, 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 we're doing a deal today. Rides today are absolutely free. Here's the deal. You can't say anything. If you say anything in the plane, then you have to pay me the 10 bucks. But otherwise, it's a free ride. Stumpy looked over at Martha. Martha said, okay, I guess so, but keep your mouth shut because remember, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. They both get into the plane. They go up and the pilot goes, I'm gonna get my money. He goes up. He goes in a steep incline, goes on a steep decline. He looks back. Stumpy's just sitting there like this, his mouth shut. He starts doing loop-de-loops and loop-de-loops and the pilot himself is kind of getting sick to his stomach. He goes, I can't believe they're not saying anything. Finally, he comes down, goes down on the ground, and he looks back in the back seat, and the door's open, and Martha wasn't there. <laughs> he said, dude, where's your wife? He said, well, she fell out of the plane back about the fifth loop. He goes, why didn't you say anything? He says, well, I was going to, but 10 bucks is 10 bucks. <laughs> I had to lighten it up a little bit, right? So I'm gonna guard myself and my spirit. I'm gonna guard my forgiveness. I'm not gonna keep accounts. I'm gonna guard my words. I'm gonna guard my affections. I wanna guard my view, my respect. Last one. I'm gonna guard the covenant. Remember, a covenant is a promise, a commitment 
between two individuals that is witnessed and guaranteed by God. And it's interesting what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And, and the most important word is always. Because I don't know about you, but you, I never always do anything unless I commit myself to always do it. Any of you who have been in any relationship for any period of time know that there are days <laughs> you wish they'd fly out of the plane, right? But what keeps you in those vows is that however many years ago it was, you stood before a pastor or a justice or somebody and something to the effect for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. This is my covenant before God. And when the pastor asked you if you do, you said, I do. And I do means I will. Now remember, God never despises your current relational status. Can't unscramble scrambled eggs. That is not what, that the enemy is accusing some right now. No, no, this is not an accusation. This is God's invitation. Today, guard yourself in your spirit. There's an old uh, Scottish custom I heard and when a couple gets married, the wedding party celebrates with them as they walk to their home. And in the side of their home in this village, there's a little door, two feet by two feet. And when they get to the house, they open up the door and the couple is carried by their friends through the door as they lay down and they come into the house horizontally and then they lock the door. And the only time they ever open that door is when one of them passes away. And then the person is removed from the house by family and friends the same way they entered. God says, lock the door. Guard the door. Guard the part of you that nobody else sees. Only God and you know what's there. But he says, guard yourself in your spirit so that you can keep your promise. Father, you're gracious God. I'm so grateful because you're the God of grace who meets us where we're at and you're the God who restores and you're the God who heals. And 
And Lord, there's all kinds of folks that are represented in this beautiful family of God here. There are some who are single by choice and some are single not by choice. And some are single because they've gone through the, the pain of divorce. And some have been widowed. And, but there are some that are here that, Lord, are in relationships that, Lord, you're challenging to honor the promise guard the spirit and in our faithfulness toward one another we bring honor and glory to you because you're faithful always faithful toward us thank you father in fact even in this moment I pray that you would do a healing work and bring hope and encouragement maybe to some who had kind of lost hope and encouragement it's not always our choice. But as much as it's up to us, we'll guard our hearts. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.